All right, welcome to episode 29 of the Take One Security Podcast. Going to start out with the news. So Apple has called out the FBI on the iPhone decryption case. This thing has been blowing up since end of last week. It's blended into this week, and it's uh, become a pretty big deal. So um, we're going to talk about it more in the ideas, updates, and discussions section. But um, this is probably the biggest news story out there right now in the security world. Um, Trump calls for a boycott of Apple. Um, he does this from an iPhone, which is, uh, I guess, to be expected. Um, yeah, pretty interesting that uh, that he's getting involved so quickly. I, I guess it's kind of his style to just jump in on things. But uh, to do it from an iPhone is uh, takes particular particular balls. Judge rules FBI must reveal malware it used to hack over 1,000 computers. That's a pretty interesting legal precedent. Someone hacked Mint's website and replaced ISOs with backdoored versions. So that's that's really nasty. So someone basically broke into the forum and uh, pulled the, the uh, hashed passwords, broke some of them, and then compromised the overall website and then replace the Mint downloads with uh, malware versions or malicious versions. So um, that's really nasty because uh, normally when you go to a, a big name Linux distro, you don't think you're going to get, you know, infected by being on the main website. Like if you're on some random site, then that's kind of understandable, but it can happen on the main sites as well. So the other big story that's happening right now is the glibc vulnerability. Um, I want to talk about, here's some text basically from, uh, from Dan Kaminsky, really good uh, analysis. He's like the DNS security expert, basically. Uh, he writes, this affects a universally used library, glibc, in a universally used protocol, DNS. Generic tools that we didn't even know had network surface, like SUDO or sudo, thus are exposed, as in software written in programming languages designed explicitly to be safe. So this is what's crazy is even if you have really well-written software, you're still leveraging, if you're on Linux, you're still leveraging DNS lookups via glibc. So it's it's got a massive surface area for attack. And, and basically the way it works um, is that you, you, if you can man in the middle a DNS request, uh, let's say you have a large network of Linux computers and you are somewhere on the network where you can force the users to make requests to a, to a maliciously held website or controlled website, you can have them return uh, a reply that has an overflow in it because glibc will process that reply and then uh, get overflowed. And depending on the context of the user who made the call and is processing the response, you could get uh, you know everything up to and including complete control of that system. Um, so it's really nasty. And uh, the best write-up definitely on the whole thing is uh, Dan Kaminsky's write-up on his blog. And uh, I believe I have the, the link on the site. Uh, Tesla Crypt 
is uh, basically some ransomware. It's now targeting, targeting Joomla sites as well as WordPress. So you need to keep your CMSs updated if they're built on PHP, which is silly. Not really, but kind of. Hollywood Hospital pays $17,000 to decrypt files. Um, really hope they cleaned up afterwards, which is easy to do if you got four computers, but they probably have lots of computers. They're probably going to get reinfected. And the way ransomware works is they just, uh, they do unlock your files usually when you pay the money. But because you don't clean up correctly afterwards, they just call you back next week and encrypt all your stuff again. And then you're screwed and you basically end up paying rent to access your own files. So you, it's cool to get your files back by paying 500 bucks or a thousand bucks, or in this case, 17 grand, but you've got to clean up or otherwise it's just going to happen to you again in a few days. Um, v server just put out a massive uh, update VMware. VServer, the remote code execution flaw. Definitely want to patch that. By the way, the fix for the glibc issue is also you just need to patch Linux. Um, Malcrawler put out a power grid honeypot. I think this was from a couple weeks ago at a conference they released this. But it's pretty cool. They have a fake, fake uh, power grid network out there and they watch people connect and watch and see what they do, which is pretty fun. All right, ideas, updates, and discussion. Um, this section is basically dominated this week by the, uh, the FBI thing with iPhone and a few main points here. So first point is um, there were three phones. A lot of the stuff people don't know, it's, it's out there in various stories, but that's the advantage of a podcast is you can get it all in one place, right? So first, first point that's interesting, there were three phones. <clears throat> It's most likely that the personal phone of this of the guy Farood was was used to do the terrorism communication. He destroyed that phone. I think there was another phone as well. It was also destroyed. The only phone that was not destroyed was the work phone, which a lot of people are saying, well, he probably didn't do anything terrorism related on that phone. So a lot of people are saying, look, we're going after this thing. It's going to be like Hoffa's like uh, cave where there's just nothing inside of it after you make all this noise about getting to it. But that's the other part of the sort of, uh, not conspiracy, but the, the other part of the charge is basically that the FBI probably knows that there's nothing there. They're just going after it because they're able to claim they're doing it for security. But in fact, they might just be going after the precedent. So that's part of the conversation, especially since you know, there were three phones and two of them were already destroyed and cannot be forensically restored. So there's probably no data there. Um, the more interesting point to me, and I wrote a, a post about it uh, on the site, is that it's kind of crazy. The trend seems to be that they want you to build as a manufacturer of, of uh tech stuff or hardware or whatever, it it's almost seems like the government is heading in the direction of you need to allow us in if we ask, because it could be about national security. Um, it's just, it's a big sacrifice for all in order to get to one thing. 
Uh, I've got a conservative uh, security buddy who's like, oh, what if your daughter was kidnapped and this phone had the location of where she is? Um, you would change your tune. And I'm like, well, here's the problem. It's exactly the same as negotiating with terrorists. Okay. Let's say the terrorist says, if you give me $1 million, I will save uh, Jenny Hopsgarden or whatever her name is. And everyone wants to save Jenny, but you can't put, uh, pay the ransom. Otherwise, you put a thousand other Jennies in more danger. Right. So, yes, it is hard, but it's exactly like negotiating with terrorists. You don't want to do the, the thing that makes you feel good at the short scale. Right. That, you know, decrypt the phone, give the terrorists a million dollars to save Jenny or to get this data from the San Bernardino shooting. Because of the damage that it will do overall in the world. And, and that's the that's the argument that Apple seems to be making. Uh, and, I, and I think it's a good one. My more interesting thing is what if. What if they successfully make companies build a backdoor, not, not an actual like a listener where they can just log in, but, you know, a trick where they have a, a workaround to get to data that other people do not, right? That uh, That's scary to me because what will happen is nobody who's interested in security will be buying U.S. products anymore because they're they're associated with the government and the government having access to them, which means if it's illegal in the U.S. to make software that or hardware or systems that that communicate purely 100% securely, well, it just means someone else is going to make those, right? That means foreign companies, European companies, Asian companies are now going to be building those products, which we will now be using. So what happens when they outlaw it? manufacturers in the U.S. for making it. First of all, they make us less competitive, and that's lame. Second of all, we just get them from somewhere else and we start using them. Well, next piece after that is terrorism happens again, using this product built in Asia that's super secure, or this product built in Finland that's super secure. Well, then the next logical move is for the government to say, okay, no U.S. citizen. It's illegal now to use a system that the U.S. does not have a backdoor to. And this is completely logical. This is not like some crazy conspiracy. This is completely logical progression from where we're at right now if they make the wrong move here. And that's why I think it's so important that they make the right decision here and back off of this. Um, the other question is, is Apple doing this whole thing because for marketing or are they doing it for principle? And I did a Twitter poll today about that. Um, seems about half and half. A little, pe little more people think it's um, for principle, but I probably have a lot of Apple followers, so that's probably bias, but who knows? But um, I think it's an interesting question. Uh, it's obviously both, right? It's obviously both. They're, they like the marketing that they're going to get from it. But I think they would do it anyway because I think they are principled about it. Because I think they like protecting their consumer. 
Um, someone else had a great point um, on Twitter earlier. They're like, you realize if they were to show any sort of connection with the government, they instantly lose their contracts in China. And China is their, their developing market, right? China is where they're going to make all their money in the future because it's kind of tapped out in the U.S. And that's where they're trying to move into and get buddy, buddy with. So I thought that was a phenomenal point. It's like they have no option. So in that sense, you don't even know if they really care or if they just care because of China or if they just care because of their customers or they care because of marketing. Kind of doesn't matter, though. If you care about privacy, there is a company that really cares about it as well. I think it's for principle, but I could be biased in that. But even if it's not for principle, they damn sure care about privacy because they have so many reasons to that are not the same with Facebook or with Google. So it's definitely my preferred platform for a number of other reasons, but for security and privacy, um, definitely, definitely it's my top choice. All right. Um, oh, this was cool. Right before I got ready to post this, there is actually another way. It was, um, so I work for IOActive and I was talking with a bunch of buddies last week. Um, about different ways to get at the data. And there is another way to get at the data, right? So we're talking about an encryption key. And there is a very, very advanced way to get at encryption keys, which involves uh, attacking the chip itself and extracting the key right from it. And that is uh, really, really hard to do. Um, but some companies can do it. And uh, the government can do it. We, we have to assume that they can. We have to assume that they're really, really good at it. I mean, there's a span of how good people can be at it uh, in, in the private sector. But we can assume that government resources can do this really well. Um, and that's another way to go after it. And who knows if whoever, NSA or some other large group, probably the NSA would be the best. But you could also expect that foreign actors would be good at doing this as well. And if you can extract the keys, then it is game over regardless. So um, just something else to be thinking about is that there are other options of getting at the data besides, you know, rubber hose, dangling relative over a precipice, um, you know, the brute forcing, wh whatever. All right. So I think that's, uh, that's that section. Talk about tools, talks, and projects. So I was talking to uh, Bitquark uh, earlier today, who's a um, top-end uh, bug hunter. And uh, he tweeted out about releasing some subdomain research. He's going through tons of data and, and basically analyzed tons of subdomains. He's going to be releasing it. And I pinged him. I'm like, hey, man, you going to put that on Seclist? He's like, hell yeah. So that'll be on Seclist pretty soon. Um, really looking forward to it. Hopefully he does a big blog about it and everything. Uh, but he's talking about releasing the scripts and the analysis and everything. So um, looking forward to that. Uh, another tool here, log.io. It's a web interface for looking at log files on, on like your Linux server. Looks like a pretty slick web interface. It's got like, it's based on Node. Um, I prefer just using like a Splunk forwarder and sending it to Splunk and doing what you want with it there. But this seems pretty cool. If you don't have that set up. 
Lobotomy, automated Android assessment and reversing. That's a pretty cool tool. Got a link there. Um, SSLIs or SSLIs. Basically, SSL analyze. Like, throw it together how you want. But um, I just reinstalled it um, using Brew on OS 10, and it worked uh, pretty clean. It's basically SSL analysis for a domain and port, and it gives you, like, what ciphers are supported, like, what protocols, uh, tells you which uh, suites are preferred, which ones are actually supported, which ones are not supported at all. Um, and I believe it looks for a couple of main volumes as well. Pretty cool tool. Um, oh, and this other one, which I just got done downloading on BitTorrent, is called SELKS, S-E-L-K-S. It's basically a full network security monitor with uh, Suricata and rule management. And it's got a number of dashboards and everything. So it's like a, it's like a distro for IDS based on Suricata. Um, I'm looking forward to setting that up and messing with it. That's it for that section. For announcements, I'll be at the IOASIS at RSA next week. This is um, IOActive's conference away from the conference. So it's only, it's like a block and a half, two blocks away from Moscone Center. But it's like a multi-floor. There's like massages. We do talks there. Um, you can just come hang out with a bunch of people. It's a super cool thing. I think you have to sign up for it. But um, if you don't have a sign up, just ping me. I should be able to get you in. And uh, definitely come check it out. I'll be around there. I think it's Tuesday and Wednesday. And I'll be around both of those days when I'm not uh, have a talk to do at RSA. But I should be there most of the time otherwise. So come by and say hello. Miscellaneous. All right. War Games movie prompted Reagan to take cybersecurity action. This is pretty cool. So basically, Reagan saw War Games or he heard about it. And he's like, um, is this a problem? Is this just movie stuff? Or is this something we should be worried about? So his staff goes off and comes back a week later. And they're like, um, yeah, this is real. This is a, it's actually much worse than we thought and much worse than the movie. It's really bad. So, And this is like three weeks after Reagan gave his famous Star Wars speech. So it was like on everyone's mind, like all this futuristic tech stuff. And evidently, seeing war games or hearing about it prompted him to start a bunch of uh, cyber stuff, which now that I'm thinking about it, didn't prompt enough stuff around computer security. But anyway, still cool that uh, art affected the world in that way. All right, I think we're going to uh, close it off here, have a short one. This was uh, episode 29, and I will see you next week. Take care.